The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast, a horrible hangover for Google following yesterday's less-than-stellar AI unveil of Bard. The stock tumbling another 4% plus today. A digital divide on our desk for where Alphabet is heading next. Plus, Nelson Peltz declaring victory and dropping his proxy fight with Disney, doing it live on CNBC this morning. This minutes after Bob Iger told her David Faber that buying the rest of Hulu is no slam dunk. We'll break down the Magic Kingdom mania coming up. And later, Tesla's monster one-month move, Expedia's after-hours tumble, and a glowing week for uranium. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site. A full desk here in-house tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with the bot battle breaking out in big tech. Alphabet dropping sharply for a second day after yesterday's AI flub. That stock now at its lowest level in three weeks. Meantime, Microsoft holding relatively strong after its own enhanced being revealed. It is up over 2% since Monday versus a more than 9% decline for Alphabet. The Google parent on pace for its worst week since November. we got much more on that in just a moment and how these traders are trading the names. But first, we want to get to shares of Lyft. They are plunging after giving weak guidance in its latest earnings report. That call kicking off just moments ago, top of the hour. Deidre Bose is dialed in, has the details. Debo. Yeah, a lot of questions from investors on this upcoming call. Disappointing and messy guidance, though, is what is hitting those shares hard. Revenue forecast, that was the more straightforward metric of the two, falling short of expectations at a time when ride-sharing is supposed to be recovering and setting up a contrast with Uber, which was more positive in its outlook. Co-founder and President John Zimmer said the recovery in driver supply surprised them, and that's partly what is weighing on the P&L and outlook. As for profitability, adjusted EBITDA guidance between 5 and $15 million. The company says that's due to a mix of seasonality, that changing supply and demand dynamic, and insurance renewal timing. Uh, Melissa, for the last, as long as these companies have been public, Uber and Lyft, they've kind of traded in tandem. But over the last year or so, they have broken away. And this quarter kind of underlines that, that Uber is going to continue to sort of keep dominating the market while Lyft struggles and perhaps gives up market share. You know, Deidre, it's interesting that uh, John Zimmer was quoted as saying rideshare is back, and yet in terms of numbers of riders, they're not back to pre-pandemic levels. And so I'm, I'm wondering, when they say that the driver shortage is, has abated quicker than expected, does that mean that the demand just wasn't there, even though the drivers came back? You know, I'm kind of I'm with you on this, Melissa. It's confusing. And I did ask him that as well. I said, were you not prepared for this? Has the demand fallen off? And the best sort of they gave us was that that dynamic caught them off guard, which doesn't sound great because Uber saw this coming. Um, but, you know, it, it record revenue for them, but growing at, what, 21 percent versus Uber's 50 percent? Lyft has not become a diversified business in the same way that Uber has over the last few years throughout the pandemic. In terms of their monthly active platform users, that was did come in a little bit better than expected. But again, it's just not moving the needle in the same way. And there's lots of outstanding questions about market share.
All right, keep us posted. Deidre Bosa, again, the conference call is underway right now. Lyft, by the way, is in two of our traders' acronyms for 2023. Ouch. Tim Seymour, it's in yours. Well, first of all, the, the fact that Uber's diversified is not, you know, we used to talk about Lyft as being a concentrated play. This is why you wanted to own it. So there, there's no, you know, that's not the argument. This, you know, Zimmer's comments are the biggest problem with Lyft. This management team has been so poor at communicating to the market. This management team, I think, is really the problem. And, and for a management team that is guided for adjusted EBITDA, whatever that means, of a billion dollars by 24, and they say five to 15 million in the next quarter is the problem. You mentioned it. The fact that they're they're about 20 percent below pre-pandemic in terms of their their active riders, uh, not controlling your inventory or your supply side is a big problem. Um, I actually sold uh, kind of my position equivalent in upside calls, which still leaves me long in the stock. And I just want to explain that. So in other words, we talk about this all the time. It's great to sell upside calls when you've had a stock that's run. It keeps you in the position. So while that's, that felt pretty smart on some level, because I expected a little bit of a pullback, I didn't expect this kind of a move. Dan, yeah, I, it is in mind in the T. LSQ, as you guys are tracking very closely here. I mean, listen, this stock was trading $10 at the end of December, and it was just yeah. trading at 17 So, again, this is a sloppy quarter. It's a sloppy guide. I think there's going to be um, a lot of questions there, um, you know, but, you know, giving some of this back. I think it's actually emblematic of the market that we're in, like the way that people were buying stocks. This company is still expected to lose money on a gap basis for years to come. OK, and, and that's one of the stories, I think, the differentiator between Uber. I mean, they are speaking to getting um, you know, to, to profitability much faster than these guys have. But to see the stock down 25 percent, that does not surprise me, given the quarter they have, the excuses and why they gave that guidance and how far the stock has run. Probably round trips now. I mean, you said from 10 to 18. Oh, wow. I, I can do, I can do that math. That's, I mean, that's, a, I, that's well. I mean, it feels like that's we're on the verge of. But it will also do it on huge volume. You probably have 150 million share day tomorrow or Monday. Probably 10 times normal volume, and then you reload again. The story's not necessarily broken. It's just not. Near, you know, it's interesting. Tim said that for a long time the pure play lift was a better play. Sure. The the I mean the pendulum has swung the other way now. Now Uber's a more diversified company, more interesting company, and their pathway to profitability is probably more clear. But this is a tradable opportunity. I think it probably comes in the form of ten and a half ish, where we sort of bottomed out a month and a half or so ago. All right, let's get back to uh, Google's brutal week now. That drop has our traders on the desk on opposite sides of the action. Um, Karen, what did yeah. you do with your position today? So, you know, ruminating all night over it. And I, you know, I just decided, all right, if I owned none, would I want to have some? Absolutely. Would I want to have as much as I have? No. Okay. Because I don't know what to make of this threat here. Right. So I feel like, all right, it's a little irresponsible to to dismiss it. Right. I mean, we've seen threats before, but I feel like, all right, I sold about 15 percent of my position. So it took me from about 12 to about 10 ish, um, which is a very big position for me still. I just feel like uh, it's sort of the responsible thing to do. I also sort of feel like, all right, this guarantees it is the bottom um, (laughs) having done that today. But I feel like uh, it's just the right thing to do. So I'm still very much invested in Google, but it was more of a portfolio management thing mm-hmm. than anything else. And when you say mm-hmm. the threat, let's be clear, that means the threat posed by Microsoft from an AI enhanced search? Yes. 
Right. Okay, so that's specifically. Right. I'm not, I, I don't think the DOJ thing, that's not part of it. Uh, it's really that, that threat. That, and they, they did it to themselves a little bit as well. That yesterday, I mean, that was, that was good for a couple of points down. I, I, think. I think the threat, the question, though, it, it's not necessarily a threat to Google. Um, it's a threat to their margin. And, and I think yeah. this was yeah. the attack by Microsoft. And, and so for a stock that's fallen 15% in two days, I think this is an opportunity. I was, I was selling uh, puts, which means I'm giving my Myself a place to, to, to get the stock and own it a little bit lower. In fact, I picked the lows that we hit back in October. I, I you know, to me, Google is a company that's they've been in AI for, for for eight years. I mean, this is a company that's so invested here, and and I and I get the fact that Microsoft. Well, then why has why haven't be, they put AI with their search engine before Microsoft? Well, they I, have. I, not in this but way. Not, right, right, way. right. It's not like, yeah. yeah. No, fair question. I, I'll just say that their, their release on Wednesday was really lackluster. Um, Microsoft has a whole lot more to gain when your share of search is 3% and Google's is 90 So, of course, it's asymmetric in terms of who's going to look better here. This is a big opportunity for Google. If it's an opportunity for Microsoft, it's an opportunity. But it's not just search either. It's across their productivity tools. I mean, that, that's what right. I think Microsoft is really worried about. They're not worried about, like, oh, search, they're just going to run away with it. They ran away with it. It's over, okay? So, like, might they get gain some um, you know, share here and there. Um, I bought the stock today at 94. To Tim's point, it's down you know, 15 bucks in two days on something that we will not know what comes of this for, for quarters, if not years, in a way. And so to me, I just thought that was a really interesting opportunity. When I see investors panic the way they did off of something that is not in the here and now, and the flip side of that, because Microsoft has had such a big run over the last week, I actually bought a put spread in Microsoft over the next two weeks here, because I think that's going to come in, and I think this thing will settle out a little bit. I think people will start thinking about it the way you have. And when I hear Karen say, I sold 15% of my position, if things settle out and you get a better sense for it, you'll probably buy it back. Because it's like the cheapest of all of these big names. And and, and again, and they have the moat, they have the monopoly. Uh, Obviously, there's some regulatory issue here. But to me, I think when you see Microsoft start flexing a little bit in their sandbox, it maybe takes some pressure off from a regulatory standpoint. There's a little bit of a hair on fire sort of notion about, you know, Google being behind in AI posed by the company. I mean, the company themselves, right? They put out that memo, all hands on deck. They called back their founders. Bryn, you know, Paige, come back. We need help with AI. They set themselves up for this sort of perception that they're behind the eight ball when it comes to AI. I think it's a misstep on their part, but we can have that conversation. I mean, that's a different conversation for sure. I mean, they're so far ahead of the curve on other businesses that, all right, they're behind the curve here. They could probably... They could probably make up for it on the back end at some point. But the trade to me is Microsoft, without question. I mean, that Microsoft quarter, quarter was okay. The guidance was not good. And we talked about it. Wait for the conference call. Stock went from 253 in the aftermarket, traded down to 233, which is where it should be trading now. It proceeded to rally $45 on nothing, maybe the last 10 bucks on this. So the real trade, if you've been long Microsoft, if you caught that thing cold, get out of it because I think that's what's going lower. So we've all been discussing this as sort of the notion of a pairs trade. One benefits, the other gains. Yes. Could it be that that there's an outside winner to all of this, that as these companies are engaged in this sort of battle spending on this, you know, dedicating talent to this, that other companies will actually just swoop in there? Yeah, and they're all private, and they're pre-revenue, and they're getting like $250 million (laughs) from our friends in VC for, you know, without actually having any differentiated product right now. You know, OpenAI with this chatbot or this ChatGPT is so far ahead, and I actually think that you'll see fine. It looked like hair on fire. I'm sure the people... What does that term mean? I mean, I get when someone's hair... Oh, running around. Why are we, terrible I mean, that would be. Metaphorically, I'm having trouble. You just so it's yes. bad smell and, well, and just probably <laughs> uncomfortable. Particularly, yeah, Tim, you know it's I mean? I know. Was on 
fire in the product. Right. Well, I, there's a lot of product in here. It would go up like well, that. Let me just I mean, add one no thing. I sort of felt like, all right, I dropped, stopped, and rolled a little bit because... I don't want to think my hair's on fire, but can I make, yes. can I make a going can I make a little trading point? Yeah, sure. and, and we and say this to people all the time. Like, how do you like make a decision to kind of change a position? Mm-hmm. Like, I think what you did is it's, it's trading 101. It's like you have to move your feet a little bit, right? Like, all of a sudden you're unsure. You've had a big run. You moved your feet a little bit. You sold 15 percent of your position. And my point is, is like you'll probably get back in at some point. You know what yes. I mean? Maybe it's lower, or maybe it's even higher. But the point is, once you have more clarity on it. And if she said exactly. one thing, she said it a thousand times. It's if, if, if tonight I, I am long, but I didn't want to buy it today, I shouldn't go home long right. or something. You yes. say it a lot better than that. But the point is, I, I think you're acting on that, which is, which is impressive. All right. Uh, let's get to VC. The venture capitalist offers <laughs> early investments in Pinterest, Airbnb, DraftKings. Uh, AI is his top investment play right now. Rick Heitzman is founder and partner of First More Capital. Rick, great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Um, obviously, you didn't deploy money yesterday. You didn't deploy money when, yeah. when Microsoft decided to buy a stake in ChatGPT. So... When did you start seeing this as sort of the next wave? And in, in, in what way? Because AI has become such a buzzword now. So what? In how are you investing? So it became such a buzzword, but we saw that data was starting to be released. There were better data systems. That data then became a machine learning. So mm-hmm. the, the, you could have algorithms around it or have software around it. And that led to AI, which is software learning from software. And probably about five or seven years ago, the, as this got unlocked, there were different applications, either horizontal AI, which does some jobs in the background of software applications, or vertical AI, which does jobs around search or writing uh, college essays if you're chat GPT, or whatever it may be. So that was been a, that's been a long-term play for us, and now it's just starting to get hot again in the BC ecosystem. How do you think, though, about the end user of... AI in terms of when you talk to a company, who Mm -hmm. is their end user and and does a consumer end user versus a corporate end user make it hotter than the other? Uh, Actually, a a corporate end user makes it much hotter. We have a company that processes billions of documents for the government every day in AI and takes all the forms from the DMV, from Social Security and says, hey, I want to make sure Dan's really Dan. I want to make sure this is really his address. So just the processing of vast amounts of information is the best use of AI. And obviously, as you get someone like the Social Security Administration as a customer, that's a long-term customer. Much prefer that as opposed to people who are using AI as a toy. Rick, what does it mean to you as a VC who's trying to deploy capital in in an efficient manner, right, and being cognizant of valuations when you have companies like Google or Alphabet, you know, like just 250 million here, 250 million there, you know what I mean? Spreading it around, it probably makes your job a lot more difficult. Makes it harder, but you, you talk about when did Google start? I think about seven years ago, they, they bought a company called DeepMind, which they paid more per engineer. They bought it on, I think it was a three and a half million dollars per engineer basis. They had no product, they had no technology. And in general, venture capital said, this is the end. They just ruined the economics for everybody. We have to be out of this business. And we said, well, maybe that's not true. Maybe we should go back and really think about what's going on. But p- things like this do, we, we hope that things stay very quiet for as long as possible. People get to build real businesses. And then when the giants come in and they feel like they're behind, it's a great time to sell. When you take a look at the stock reaction, uh, mm-hmm. Alphabets and Microsoft, what do, you, what do you make of that? I mean, you know, did Google really lose? I mean, did, was it so horrible what they unveiled that they <laughs> warranted this drop? I think that I think as you put it well, there was a perception issue. So they they've been working on AI for decades. They and AI is such a general term that you could call really anything AI now. And so they've been working on for but the 
the panic that you saw, we have to call back our founders, we have to release, we have to announce something that that's, doesn't really work. We're re being reactionary to Bing. I mean, that's not a sign of, a sign of strength, right? I mean, the you know, old old adage that you know, lions don't sweat lambs. It's weird that Google's sweating Bing. So that was that's more of the emotional reaction that people are reacting to in the market. Okay, Rick, always good to see you. Thank good you. Good seeing you. Thank Rick you. Heisman, first mark. Lions don't sweat lambs, guy. I know. I like that. Why are you looking at me? I'm, I'm just, just reminding you. It's like an oldie-fashioned sort of saying that you might <laughs> utter. <laughs> Better to spend one day as a lion than a thousand days as a lamb. I think that's some sort of proverb. But I think, think you about just made that, that up. No, I did not make that up. Go to, your, go to your AI Google machine and check it out there, wise guy. Except it probably wouldn't work. I think Rick makes it. Listen, I think he makes an interesting point. For me, it wouldn't work. You know, his point about Google panicking here, that's exactly right. And they're paying for it in terms of market cap. But at a certain level, it becomes very compelling. The problem, of course, I've been saying that for a while, but out of the four or five big ones we talk about, that's the cheapest in the bunch. Yeah, and I'll say this. I, I just, I did buy a put spread near term. Um, mm -hmm. Satya Nadella, this is his sweet spot. When you listen to him talk about this and talk about a company that they are, a product that they have not been excited about, which has been in a very long time, and the way they're talking about integrating this, so that is, I think, long term, this is going to be a really important part. And I think he has done such an amazing job transforming this company over the last, what, 10 years or so. This is probably the next iteration of it. But again, I'm not sure you buy it to Guy's point. 233 to 270 in a straight line after disappointing guidance off of something that is not going to materialize for a while. I asked this before. Is this an Azure moment? Well, it, they, they want it to be. They want it to be. And they made this announcement as if this is, you know, 2007, 2008, and here we go. I mean, I'll just throw this back um, and say this, you know, for, for Google, they – they grew 32% on cloud in, in a quarter that people didn't expect them to grow that fast. That outperformed. I mean, what they're doing in cloud um, is arguably a threat to Microsoft, too. I, I would reiterate what both Rick said and I think we've said here, which is that we don't know where this is going. And, and making, and Dan has said this, making a decision uh, in two days. Uh, I love how, by the way, we've all reflected this. This could be an episode of Options Action. There was more options <laughs> talk here um, Friday at 530 on Thank CNBC. Yes. <laughs> Coming up, the Treasury markets are about to hit a milestone not seen in four decades. We'll tell you what it is and what it could mean for your money. But first, the earnings keep rolling in. Shares of Expedia and PayPal on the move. we got the details from both quarters when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customer 
customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Expedia. Shares are dropping by about a percent, well off the lows here after the company missed on the top and the bottom lines. Seema Modi's got the details. Seema. Melissa, the stock is trying to stage a reversal here as CEO Peter Kern talks on the conference call. He started by sharing that Hurricane Ian and winter storms in the U.S. drove up cancellations in December that caused Q4 numbers to come in below expectations. Kern also mentioned that friction in transitioning its business model after going through a major revamp last year also weighed on results. However, however, post the disruption, Kern says 2023 is off to a great start. He's citing improvement in bookings in January, and that is what help is helping shares come off the lows of the session. We were down as much as 8%. Kern joins me tomorrow on Tech Check, and Melissa, the key question will be on growing its market share outside the U.S. As China reopens, North America makes up a majority of its bookings right now. And of course, at what cost? That, has, that was one concern was the increase in marketing expenses we saw in Q4. All right, Seema, thanks. Seema Modi, guy. Stock went up 55-0% over the course of a month and a half. So they needed to crush it in order for this ride to continue. They did not do that. Again, like some of these other stocks we talked about, there's going to be a level to buy the stock. It's just not here where it's trade, 116. Mm-hmm. It's not here. It probably finds a home around 105 or so. Then we'll have another conversation. I think given what was it seemed to be somewhat disappointing, I think it trades really well, actually, yeah. right? Given the run that it's had, I love to hear that uh, marketing expense is up. You know who travel marketing expense would be? Google. Google. Or I guess now big, but I want to say Google. <laughs> Much more yeah. Well, hearing about severe weather or things that are short-term headwinds is an opportunity to buy. If you think that's the reason the stock sold off, that's not why it sold off. It's a valuation. It's a multiple at this point, at least if I'm looking at trailing. I don't even know where uh, they are on a forward basis. That, that, that I think we all would say in this market, you're not paying what you were yesterday. And I think that's the problem after this kind of a move. Hey, Paul, also out with earnings, so let's get to that. Shares initially positive, but now in the red after reporting a mixed quarter, missing slightly on the top line, beating on the bottom line. That conference call is underway as we speak. Kate Rooney's got the latest. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, so PayPal here raising its full-year guidance for EPS and announcing CEO Dan Shulman is stepping down at the end of the, uh, the year here. Shulman just describing this macro environment on the call as difficult. He called it a difficult macro environment with the overall growth of e-commerce continuing to slow. He said they're growing pretty much in line with e-commerce despite more competition. He says they're holding on to market share. And baseline assumption, consumer spending will remain under pressure. But he says they're seeing signs that inflation will cool. He says it's logical to think that discretionary spending will continue to increase. Active accounts and payment volume were a bit light for the quarter. Growth is slowing in two key areas. First, total payment volume. That growth of about 5%, and that was down from 23% a year ago. And then we also had active accounts lower than expected at about 2% growth. PayPal had mixed guidance for the first quarter, but it is raising that full-year EPS guidance, lowering operating expenses as well for the year. It's part of that cost-cutting plan spurred on by activist investor Elliott Management. I spoke to Dan Schulman briefly about stepping down, asked him, was there pressure from that activist Elliot, he said none whatsoever. He said he's you know, led PayPal for nine years. He said they really wanted to give the board enough time to search for someone new. They're looking externally and internally. 
at PayPal as well. Shulman says he's staying on the board. He's going to work closely with them to make sure that the transition is smooth, as he put it. Back to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney, Dan? Yeah, well, here's a, a company where expectations have been coming down for more than a year, right? And so now if you look at it, you look at the valuation, you look at expectations for mid-teens, um, earnings growth, about 10%, sales growth for the next couple of years, margins that maybe bottom out a little bit. They had a huge spike in that pull forward during the pandemic. I mean, this is one that I think you're going to have the opportunity to buy back near those lows from December around 70. So again, what have we talked about? Every single one of these companies tonight that have reported earnings, they've had these big ramps off of the lows. And now I think it's like, listen, I think the, the fever broken a little bit in the market. I think you can see that in the NASDAQ a little bit. And this is probably a bit more rational action. So to me, I'd be patient on this one. But I would be a buyer in your I think Pinterest was $180 stock when January of 21 or something, when that Pinterest news came out that they denied. But mm-hmm. that was the tell there that they were needed to buy growth. And there has not, this has not been a growth story now in 14 months. And this really has not bounced off the recent lows a little bit, but not nearly to the extent that some of these other stocks. That's a tell in and of itself. Just one last thing. I think there are a lot of people on the street who will be happy with a new CEO, the idea of a new CEO to sort of shake things up, that things have gotten a little stale, they're not innovative, and and we see competition coming in as well. Uh, Fever, fever broke, full moon fever, Johnny scratch fever, fever, Johnny fever. (laughs) Um, I think for PayPal, the, the first round of fever was just a high multiple stock. The second round has been this, this what they're saying here. I think both should arguably be priced in, although I don't think we know what to pay on the multiple, although 19 times forward is not terribly expensive. But this, you know, the, the headlines here are we're worried about discretionary spend. Well, we know that. Um, and I think that should be in the stock price. But I, you know, I, I think at this point, there are headwinds for uh, a lot of these folks. And I think PayPal is probably not cheap enough yet. Coming up, stocks closing out in the red today as earnings continue to roll in. One of our traders is seeing something on the yield curve that hasn't been seen in more than 40 years. We've got the details ahead. Plus, a day of Disney. One activist investor throwing in the towel, putting an end to a proxy fight. What the media giant's new plan means for investors. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks closing out in the red near their lows of the day. The Dow dropping nearly 250 points. It's fifth negative session in six. The S&P down nearly 1%. The Nasdaq falling more than 1%. Take a look at Lyft now down 30% after earnings. And check out the spread between two and 10-year Treasury yields hovering near a 41-year low. A 41-year low. And the last time it happened, rates were where? Double digits. I mean, you're like asking me like I mean, like I remember. Math. Come on, that's, that's pretty quick. <laughs> no, no, math, I do. Pal. I actually do remember. Yeah. It is pretty cool. And it's a problem. And everybody's yeah. I see people on the Twitter saying it's different this time. No, it's not. 
It's actually probably worse this time. And I do think it's going to negative 1% in the form of 3.5%, 4.5%. And I think the market's catching wind. And I'll say this quickly about the broader market. We're not always bearish. In June, we said, you know what, there's an opportunity here for the market to go significantly higher. That's when the VIX was 34.5-ish. Market went up 18%. It happened again in October. But take a look at this week because some of the intraday moves you've seen this week are eerily reminiscent to what we saw over the summer and in the fall. In the opposite. And the VIX now at 19 and a half, 20. I think we're going to come back a month from now and say that week in February, uh-huh. ahead of Valentine's Day, was a similar week to what we saw in June and October. Run that tape if I'm wrong. Well, it's funny. You know, Guy in the green room said the VIX looks like it wants to what? I didn't say that. I don't <laughs> use that. I said it thinks it wants to party. I don't say Meaning that. like, <laughs> like yeah, we have spike. like mid-20s, maybe high 20s on the VIX here. And, and I'll just say what's different this time about that October rally, that June rally, is that what the Fed has been telling us over the last two weeks is that they might have reasons to keep rates higher for longer. That's a big difference, okay? So so to me, that's why I think the fever has broken in the NASDAQ and why I think the S&P is very likely to be unchanged on the year at some point in the next month or so. Yeah, well, if you look at Fed fund future, I'm sorry. No, no. Okay, well. Karen, probably something much more to say. I'll get this done quickly. Fed fund futures are pricing in 100 basis points of cuts from August to May of 24. Is that really going to happen? Karen. I agree with Tim completely. No, and Dan, I mean, you know, we get weeded out a lot for a lot of different reasons, but one of them lately has been, why are you guys so negative? It's not they're so negative. It's just, it just seems, I think, to all of us that the market seems to not want to hear J- Jerome Powell, who seems it, to be like pretty like, consistent. Oh, la, la, yes. La, la, la. Yes. He oh, seems to be pretty right. consistent. He sent higher out his hawks. Longer. Higher, higher, higher. And nobody wants to hear it. And now they, oh. You've got a decent oh, okay. singing voice, by the way. No, she doesn't. That was nice. Can I tell you something? <laughs> I really don't. No, she doesn't. We've, been, we've done the Fast Money Karaoke. Oh, right. We, did, we, we did want that. to hear from me. Yeah, that was fun. But it was fun. It was fun. Coming up, Disney's board battle coming to an end, but the future of Hulu still top of mind for investors. Media mogul Tom Rogers will join us next to weigh in on the director drama and what he sees in store for the streaming service. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney shares giving up nearly 6% gain to close in the red near its lows of the day. The stock had initially jumped after CEO Bob Iger announced a restructuring plan and cost cuts. This morning on Squawk on the Street, he addressed why activist investor Nelson Peltz wasn't given a seat on the board. He has not articulated either a vision or even ideas that are of particular value to us. Now, some he has, but we were already working on those. When I came in, we talked about cost-cutting right away. We reorganized the company. We've recommitted to profitability and streaming. So where, where is the need? Management at Disney now plans to do everything that we wanted them to do. We wish the very best to Bob, his management team, the board. We will be watching. We will be rooting. And the proxy fight is over. An extraordinary moment on CNBC earlier today. Um, everybody won, really. Iger got rid of a thorn in his side. Nelson Peltz made a, probably a pretty decent profit on Disney. And I would think, Karen, and you tell me that there's no reason for him to be in the stock anymore. That's what I was wondering, right? Yeah. We won't know that because he didn't have right. a 5% stake, so he doesn't have to tell us, although he does seem chatty. Maybe he will. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it's good. If he really believes this will work and this is the plan that there should have been, then he'll probably stay. But if not, he might say, take the victory and sound like, I mean, 
just took the yes. Yeah. Well, if you were looking at the chart and judging the reaction to the stock based upon Nelson Peltz saying throwing in the towel, you'd say Nelson Peltz uh, as an investor, I still want you around uh, because the stock went from 117 down to close at 110. And I'm not saying this is totally correlated. I think there was a chance to digest some of these numbers. I don't think there really was a great message at Disney that said yesterday's pop was really all there. I'm long Disney. But I, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I think people want to see a little more agitation. Bob Iger is is solidly superstar CEO status, and no one's knocking him out of there. But having an agitator in the boardroom, maybe not a bad thing. If you watched CNBC's Fast Money at this time last which night. Which everybody does. You know who does? John Ledger does, because he's texting me, by the, which is ridiculous. Hi, John, by the way. I mean, he is, he's just, you know, he's on the Parthenon as well. With that said, we said this wasn't all that great. And if cost cutting is the reason mm-hmm. you're taking the stock to 122, think again. And it turned out to be correct. Now, there's a value for this, and we mentioned how it got expensive right before our eyes. But I think this reversal today on decent volume told you all you need to know. All right. Well, Iger also, by the way, commenting on the future of Disney's stake in Hulu. Here's what he had to say. Everything's on the table right now. So I'm not not going to speculate about whether we're a buyer or a seller of it. But I I obviously have suggested that. I'm concerned about undifferentiated general entertainment and in the, particularly in the competitive landscape that we're operating in. One longtime media exec saying now is the right time for Disney to offload Hulu to a competitor like Comcast, parent company of this network. Joining us is Engine Media Executive Chairman and former NBC cable president Tom Rogers. Tom, great to have you with us. Do you think that is what happens because it has been long rumored that Comcast would love to get all of Hulu by the other two thirds that it doesn't own in order to have a streaming service that would beef up Peacock. Well, let me first say, Melissa, the uh, Iger interview followed by the uh, Pelts uh, throwing in the towel live on CNBC made me very, very proud to have founded this channel uh, almost 34 years ago. Uh, That was great television. Um, Look, I I don't think either company should buy or either company should sell. I think what they really should do is build this joint venture by throwing more of their streaming assets into it, develop it together. Um, I don't know how realistic it is, probably not, given the relationship between these companies. Having been uh, chairman of the board of A&E and History Channel for 10 years, which was a joint venture between uh, NBC and Disney, um, it, it can work and you can really grow a business if people are dedicated to doing it. Uh, I don't think anybody can catch Netflix among the traditional content players unless they do something like that. But short of doing something like that, yes, I think the right answer is for Disney to sell Hulu, for Comcast to buy Hulu, and both companies have reasons for, both, for, for those actions. Would that make you more excited about Comcast and its prospects in streaming if it did buy uh, the rest of Hulu? Uh, I I think uh, Comcast uh, putting Peacock and Hulu together would certainly make the overall streaming effort uh, far more formidable. Uh, I could see why Disney wouldn't want to do that if it wanted to block a competitor. But I don't think it has the balance sheet or flexibility right now to use uh, blocking a a competitor as a reason not to uh, pursue that transaction. And I think Disney, for many reasons, would do much better consolidating the programming of FX and Fox. It's going to lose the NBC programming anyway. Uh, Put it together with the ABC programming on Disney+. Disney Plus needs to drive price. It has uh, uh, has to drive the value proposition. It now has originals at one sixth 
as many per quarter as Netflix does. It needs some more originals there. Rich Greenfield's done some terrific work showing uh, how the buzzy Hulu originals just get no viewing in the top 10 weekly on streaming. 82% of minutes on streaming go to uh, to Netflix in the top 10 lists every week. 1% has gone to Hulu. You got to rectify that. And the way to rectify it is to consolidate your promotional efforts through a single entertainment channel. I didn't think Iger would give any particular view on that, but he ended up in the uh, Faber interview basically saying, look, uh, we're open, and I took that as very much meaning uh, if uh, they could come to a resolution here involving a sale, it would make sense for them to do it. Hey, Tom, it's Karen. In terms of the arms race for content, uh, Disney talked about, you know, wanting to pair back. If you were Netflix, do you spend more now or less, or what? how do you, how do you view the, the landscape? Well, Netflix is so far ahead in terms of streaming expenditure relative to any of the others that whether it spends a billion less or a billion more, what it is producing in terms of original episodes, uh, what it is able to garner by way of audience, uh, it, it is... Uh, uh, you know, it, it's doing 8% of television time. Disney Plus is doing about 2% of television time. Uh, at the margins, what Netflix spends more or less, uh, I don't think is really going to change the competitive balance. Um, I do think that uh, uh, what Disney has to do by way of cutting costs, as all the traditional media companies do, and cutting content costs uh, while raising price, meaning driving price while uh, reducing the amount of quality content they put out there, uh, I think Netflix will be advantaged by that. And clearly, uh, Netflix is in a very different position, having broken out from the rest of the pack. And I just don't see any way any of them on their own can catch them, which is why I would advocate uh, a joint venture that's bigger as opposed to breaking it up. Tom, always great to get your take. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate Tom it. Tom Rogers, Engine Media, Guy Dami. Stud, I have to say that because he's still watching. <laughs> and listen, you know, all the things that he's been talking about literally for the last couple of years in terms of Netflix, Disney, mm -hmm. what Disney needs to do, what they're not going to be able to do. And again, now that they're not focused in much as subs as monetization, of ARPU, as we mentioned last night, it's going the wrong way. And that's tough to turn that needle back. So I think it makes sense that Disney sold off today. It makes sense that Netflix is still in the lead position. But there's an opportunity by Disney. It's just not at 110. Average revenue per user by the ARPU. Yes. We, have to, oh, we can't just blurt it out and I'm not sorry. explain what it is. I apologize. Um, we've got some more details on what might have sent Lyft shares lower in the last few minutes. It's down now 30%. Let's get back to Debo. Debo. Yeah, they are cratering even more, and it's coming as management says that rapidly improving supply conditions are resulting in less prime time, also known as surge pricing, that will hit revenue and profitability in the quarter, the current quarter. And I thought this was interesting, Mel. Uh, tech companies are finally getting the message on stock-based compensation, which of course weighs on the quality of earnings and dilutes shareholders. Lyft says that it will reduce SBC, or stock-based comp, to $400 million in 2024, which is still a very large amount. Amount, so that may be why investors aren't super excited about this. I asked President John Zimmer earlier if that means that their cash expense will rise because they'll have to pay employees in cash, not equity. He said no, that they will do things like hire internationally. Uh, makes me wonder, Mel, if we could hear a similar tone from other companies, especially unprofitable tech, that pay their employees in equity. Back to you. All right. Deidre Bosa, thank you. Down 30 percent. 
Um, this is the kind of market we're in. We were having this chat. I said, I said that's amazing. Lyft is down 25%. This is when it was down 25%. In one hour, that's yes. just incredible. And you said, actually, it happened just yesterday with Capri. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> it happens often. Not, it does. Not often. Between the two quarters, but I'm just saying that's, that's the kind of market we're in. That's the kind of reaction that bad news elicits. Yeah, particularly the, the run that this company has mm-hmm. had, right? And, and I'm looking, I'm surprised Uber, if all of those things are true, you would think that would translate to Uber in some right. way, right? It's down 40 cents from the close. That's, that's nothing. Why, I don't know why that is. So is it so specific to them? They so just drivers can't are only going back to Lyft and not well, to Uber? How I, can that be? I, I, that doesn't I don't, make sense. It doesn't make sense to me if there's a greater supply of drivers um, that that has anything to do with surge pricing. How are we connecting the two in terms of the margin? We heard them. So they're giving a defensive response to why maybe margins are coming down, their profitability, um, their supply side in terms of managing their business. And we kind of get that. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I think, I don't know, I'll speak for Dan and his acronym, but my acronym um, <laughs> Um, was was about that. I think Lyft is is this this company that should be independent of any economic dynamics. It's not about the recession. It's not about. It's really about their ability to control their their own balance sheet. And right now, it doesn't look like it. Coming up, an electric update. Tesla ripping higher, but after such a big run, do shares need to recharge? Dan details how he is playing the name next. And during February, we're celebrating Black Heritage. Here's the founder of 15% Pledge. I launched my brand, Brother Valleys, in 2013 with one simple goal, supporting African artisans. I launched with just $3,500 at a flea market in New York City, and since then I've gone on to sell millions of dollars worth of shoes, all made by incredible artisans across the world. In the wake of George Floyd's murder, it occurred to me just how little access some of my peers had. Black-owned businesses were over 40% likely to close during the pandemic. So I launched my nonprofit, The 15% Pledge, as a call to action for major retailers to commit 15% of their shelf space to Black-owned businesses. We've partnered with over 20 of the biggest retailers across the country, and we're now in the process of shifting over $10 billion to Black-owned businesses across the country. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla taking higher yet again today. The EV stock is now up eight straight sessions in 13 of the last 14. It has more than doubled from its lows of early January. Dan, you've been short. What have you done? Um, well, I've been averaging in. Um, I started buying that TSLQ uh, when it was 59. My average is now 50. And I'll just say this about trades. You know, some of my best trades have started out as my worst trades. And, and, and again, you know, this is really just trading around something here. So I've averaged into it. I've gotten to um, a pretty sizable position for me as I think about this. And so I've also tried some puts in, in, in Tesla, that sort of thing. So I'm moving my feet a little bit here. But I really do think that this thing is about to break. I know a lot of investors really focus on that March 1st. Um, analyst day. And if I just think about the guidance that they gave and some of the commentary on their call Mm -hmm. just a few weeks ago, it wasn't particularly great. I don't think they're going to have anything new to say. I don't think the situation in China has gotten any better. So this is a mania. We know it. We've seen these sorts of moves uh, before the last few years. I actually feel pretty comfortable about it right here. The analyst day is going to focus on electrifying the earth. The earth? earth. Not, Not Austin, not Texas, right. the, earth. Not Berlin. the earth, the not earth, Berlin. Yeah. Um, but this goes to show you what a showman Elon Musk is and how the stock typically responds to this showmanship. Cult of personality yes. is alive and well here in the investing community. Here. It still works. I mean, and Karen says this all the time. It probably should have never traded down to 101 in the first place. We can have that conversation. But 
by that same logic, the fact that it's now rallied over 100 percent in what it probably is 19 or so trading days, maybe a little bit more than that, that's equally absurd. So can it continue to go higher? I guess. But I think I'm with Dan on this one. The back and fill probably in the 170s, 180s makes a lot of sense. I'm just trying to remember, does it normally trade up into the, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news in terms of him a doing of the analyst day? That's like a battery seems. day or yes. an analyst day or an, a reveal. Of Let's talk vehicle. about a pickup truck when we yeah, actually right. need to talk about real numbers. You know, um, he's a showman, though. He is. Right. He, yeah. I'll say yeah. this for 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 Tesla and I'll, is the, the car company that I believe that it is. This has been a very good run for auto companies. Look at the move in GM. Look at the updates we've had. Ford's update wasn't great. GM's was extraordinary. And in a difficult last couple of days, GM's traded like a champ. So uh, Tesla's a car company. Coming up, we are mining some metal options and taking a look at uranium, how traders are playing the big move in that trade next. Fast Money's back into. We're having a good time here. Yeah. Uh, welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get to the uranium trade, the URA ETF that tracks the space, closing off its highs of the day, but now at 12% so far this year. Tim, you like uranium. I do, and I'm long Cameco, I'm long URA, and I believe this is a trade that even when the times look the best is where you have to be patient. I think we know where energy supply and safety issues are going around the world, and the great irony is I won't get on a soapbox and talk about nuclear power, but I think it's very misunderstood. And if you look at the numbers that came out of Cameco today, uh, they're talking about long-term contracts, they're talking about higher prices, they're talking about efficiency. And again, these companies have never been run better. So uh, this, this is a trade that uh, I think... At the times it's looked most interesting, it's been one of the hardest trades to stay in because it's underperformed. This was in my acronym last year. Oh, okay. What sound acronym? It was in. Was it really? Uranium I think it was, was in the. Evil? It was in live, live. I guess right. I don't know how you get live out. Maybe it was no, the year before, no which tells you how live. long <laughs> it's it's been a trade that hasn't really worked. Except for if you talk to the uranium bulls out there, I, I think they're probably more bullish than I am. I mean, it's a passionate crew, and they're out there. Yeah, some major bullish bets on uranium in the options market as well today. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yeah, we often talk about names before they report earnings. In this case, we're talking about it afterwards. Cameco traded more than three times its average daily options volume. One, one of the contracts that was seeing the most opening activity were the Feb 29 and a half calls. We saw over 15,000 of those trading for an average of 53 cents, although they closed a little bit lower by the end of the day. That the result of vol suck. That's when the premiums fall after an event such as Excuse this. Me? You could actually purchase those calls for the same price as you could yesterday. You know exactly what, what, what that means. Vol. 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 Okay. Ball suck. It's, it's a, a term, show. people. Wow. Mike, thank you. You can learn all about ball suck <laughs> and other interesting options terms on Options Action. <laughs> this is going to be That's your highest rated show ever. Phone <laughs> show yeah. tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. One more look at Lyft in the after-hour session. Uh, not getting any better here. Down by 31% right now. They're in both Dan and Tim's acronyms for 2023. There's Rubbing a lot of the year left to go, so we'll see how it trades here. Um, but the uh, imbalance between supply and demand in terms of the drivers coming back faster, that, that's trouble for Lyft here. Final trade time. Let's go around the horn, Tim. A much safer call is Pfizer. Down at the end of that range, it's been trading over the last year around 45, 44, going into numbers still out there. Great pipeline. Good valuation here. Karen. Yeah, so we've been talking a lot about Lyft. It's down 31%, as uh, Melissa said. If you really want to buy it, just wait three days. Today's day one. Just wait. Dan. Yeah, the Google. Um, I think you just start averaging into this, and they'll probably start 
keep buying it with the eight handle here, but I think that it probably has some support a little bit lower than here. Mel, I know everybody's talking about KD, but you were the one that mentioned the genius of that Tarasenko trade. So a shout out to genius. Melissa Lee, who's hockey's. I mean, it's incredible, yeah, really. Think hockey. about it. She's UNH, Tim, just it. too cheap here. Yep. Yep. Um, thank you for watching Fast Money. See back here tomorrow at five for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.